They brought to Jesus a man who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. There was something physically wrong with his tongue, I suppose, and there was something physically wrong with his ears. But the two are, of course, related. And here, from these who brought this man to Jesus, we see a beautiful example of true Christian friendship. It is the truest Christian friendship because it does not seek what the other can contribute to the friendship, but rather seeks instead what the other needs and seeks what Jesus contributes to friendship. It is the truest Christian friendship because it seeks to obtain for another not what we ourselves are able to give, but what only God can give. You can bring a horse to water, the saying goes, but you can't make him drink. But God can. He gives to the beasts of the field and the young ravens that cry precisely by persuading all his creatures to drink deeply of what he provides for their life. And so we leave the drinking, the persuading the horse to drink to God, so to speak. We don't refuse to bring a horse to water on account of our inability to force a horse to drink. We leave that to God. If God persuades a horse to drink, it will be water that the horse drinks. So, we bring the horse to water. What else would we bring the horse to? If God is so gracious to work faith in anyone's heart, it will be the faith that trusts in his holy word, in the gospel, which is preached. So we bring people to hear this word, and we speak the word that saves. We confess it. We do not throw our hands up and say, but I can't make him believe it. What do you want him to believe? Speak it. Confess it. Identify where it is that you might bring others to hear it. Jesus had evidently done all things well, for these kind Christian friends. And this is what made them both Christian and kind. They had clearly already come to know Jesus and believe in him. They asked nothing for themselves because they already had what they needed, to be sure. And Jesus had already given them what they begged for. But here we have recorded for us what came after they initially learned to trust in Jesus. We have a man who couldn't even beg. So they begged on his behalf. They did for this man the one thing which they themselves could do well. They begged for this man. And there is no greater kindness you can show than to bring someone to Jesus and to ask God to open such a person's ears. One who knows how to beg for himself from God knows how to beg for others from God. In this man, we see an excellent example of last Sunday's prayer. Almighty and everlasting God, we prayed, who art always more ready to hear than we to pray, and art wont to give more than either we desire or deserve. Jesus was ready to hear. This man didn't even know how to ask. Jesus was willing to give. So they asked Jesus in his place for what he didn't even know how to desire. By seeing the physical plight of this poor destitute man, this deaf mute, we can readily 
grasp the spiritual plight of so many. The comparison is obvious, and the text is practically begging us to interpret it from a very spiritual perspective. Don't you think? The parallel is easy enough to see, so let us first, however, consider the physical, because this was a real problem, too. It is a very terrible plight in its own right, especially when we take for granted not just our own abilities as people who aren't deaf, but also the great, we take advantage, or we take for granted also the great advancements in both literacy and sign language for those who are deaf. They were, the deaf people, especially in these days, were stuck in a prison of their own thoughts. And they couldn't even put words to their thoughts. At best, they could color code what they saw, what their emotions. Imagine the, the, the disadvantage, not even to express what you feel in words. Utter frustration and helplessness. They were left only with inarticulate desires, frustrations, resentment, anger, sorrow, and whatever else one might have who cannot understand anyone and who couldn't make himself understood by anyone, and whom everyone assumed was an idiot. Everyone was frustrated with him, and yet such a deaf mute had more reason than anyone to be frustrated with the world. No input, no output, a lonesome prison of silence. We see why dumb, that is unable to speak, came also to refer to one who was not intelligent. They didn't sound intelligent. How else can you describe one who cannot either say what he wants or understand anything he's told? No matter how natively intelligent such people are or may have been when they were born, they were stuck as perpetual two-year-olds at best. Sign language is a tremendous blessing. Just as the love of Jesus, which these friends of the deaf-mute had already known the love which they knew from Jesus compelled them to help this man. So it was also the love of Jesus that has compelled so many other efforts to help those who have not been otherwise able to help themselves. For example, we see in the Lutheran Reformation the promotion of literacy among both boys and girls to bring those who are otherwise locked away from information and knowledge and wisdom the ability to, to read and to be educated and learn what others are telling them. It was surely the gospel itself that prompted such efforts. The LCMS, as it turns out, when it comes to those who are deaf, were the forerunners of developing homes for the deaf. Here in the United States, that is, at least. They saw them cut off from the world, and most importantly, cut off from the Word of God. And so why? It wasn't just because their hearts were tugged by the plight that these people found themselves in. It was because they had a goal in mind. It was mercy, to be sure. But it was faith in the power of the Word so that by whatever means they might con convey to these people the gospel. 
What prompted them to show mercy was not simply compassion in their hearts, but it was a goal for them to know mercy themselves. Jesus spoke God's word and knew its power, and they had seen it. But God's word is more than a magic incantation, like open sesame or something. These good friends whose love I have praised begged Jesus to put his hands on him. They figured that there was some power that Jesus needed to convey to him to help him. But Jesus needed to correct an ease, a very common misunderstanding about the power of his word and the power of God's grace. It isn't simply something that is conveyed by association or nearness or touch. It is something that is conveyed by information, by a message. So before he simply pronounced any almighty command or touched him, by any means Jesus could, even as a man, Jesus communicated knowledge to this man. He communicated to him what he was going to do for him. As we heard from Isaiah, these also who erred in spirit will come to understanding and those who complained will learn doctrine. It is by means of learning the truth, the true doctrine of God, that Jesus works faith in our hearts. Mercy is a message. So look at what Jesus does. First, he takes him aside. In this way, he is teaching that faith is personal. You are not saved by association with this group or that church. You aren't saved by being related to a pastor who started this church or something like that. You are saved by personally believing what God says to you. Second, he puts his fingers in his ears and communicates to him what he is going to do. You are never in the dark as to what God is going to do for you. He tells you. He is communicating to this man. I am going to make you hear. And how? Third, he spits and touches his tongue. He's going to make him hear by giving him something to speak. Hearing, believing, and confessing all go together. The help I give you, Jesus says, comes to you in such a manner that you will be able to confess it and articulate it. Faith in the heart and confession of the mouth save. Fourth, he looks to heaven and sighs. That is to say that his power is from heaven. He is not doing this as a mere man, but he is doing it as a man who must bear with the infirmities and weaknesses and sins of humanity. He looks to heaven to identify where his power comes from, and he sighs as one who must live on earth to accomplish this power. He bears this man's weakness and gains power to heal him by making peace in heaven. His words aren't just powerful in some mysterious sense. No, they relate what Jesus has done. They relate what he will do. They convey a reality by describing a change in the relationship between heaven and earth, a change which is found and maintained in Christ alone who makes peace for us. And finally, he says... Ephatha, be opened, commanding mighty gates to open up. And this command, of course, was to the man. It was to his ears. He showed his power over creation. 
He opened closed gates, however, not just to reveal power, to move what is immovable. Even modern medicine has been able to move what is immovable. Because it can give all sorts of technological implants and stuff to bring hearing to those who were born deaf. It's amazing. No, but he moved the immovable not as a marvel for first century simpletons. No, he moved the immovable and healed him so that more could enter through. And he identified himself as the source of all that this man needed to come into his ears. He saved him from his physical infirmity by teaching him how he would continue to be saved from his spiritual infirmity. This is why God gives us ears to hear, that we may hear. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Obviously, this doesn't mean that deaf people can't believe and be saved. Obviously. But what it means is that the very nature of the message of the gospel, the very nature of it, is that it be understood, that it be, that it be processed. It is a message. By all this, Jesus taught the man and he teaches us that the power of God's word is more than magic. It engages the mind. And from this we learn very much. We learn about baptism as we are mocked for saying that we are saved by faith, not by baptism. As though we taught magic when we said that baptism saves. Baptism saves by washing sins away and by giving children and adults a message and a truth to embrace and believe. The Lord's Supper also is not simply a pill for us to take so that we might be cleansed of our sin. It is something for you to ponder and to consider the great price of your salvation given to you in order to teach you and fill you with certainty that that price was not begrudgingly given, but given in order to give you life and eternal salvation. And of course, the, the absolution and the preaching of the gospel which we understand automatically to be more intellectual in nature because it is so clearly a message, and yet none of it is magic. All of it is in order to communicate to us who are born spiritually deaf and dumb that the faith which saves us is a message that makes us wise unto salvation. It is a message that teaches us always to desire to return to that message since we remain Sinners in need of salvation. Faith that marvels at God's power and works in those who have such faith also works the desire to share this faith and to see this power save others. It is a good work to invite people to church. It is a good work to invite people to where Jesus speaks his almighty word the folks who brought this man in our gospel lesson, as I have just gotten into, were not entirely clear on how exactly Jesus needed to help this man. And you may not be entirely clear on how one needs to be helped. But you can invite people to go where Jesus is. And that's what they did. They didn't have all the answers. They weren't fine theologians knowing how to rebuke and refute every single argument that their friend had because he had nothing he had nothing. They simply brought him to where Jesus is, and so that is what we do too. 
You bring them to him who has the words of eternal life. It is a good work. The power that Jesus has to save and heal and forgive is power that he has by virtue, not only as God of God and light of light, but as the very God who came down from heaven as true man to live a holy life for sinners and offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. Jesus makes a point in our gospel lesson this morning, a point that we must remember that the gospel saves. The gospel that saves is the gospel that teaches us what good thing Jesus has done for us. Even before he did it for the poor deaf mute, he taught him what he was doing. And so this we see also in the value of our liturgy and the hymns of our service. Jesus wants you to pay attention and by any means learn what good things God does for you here. He wants you to note and appreciate the richness of the liturgy and hymns and everything we do. Because he is explaining to you even before he explains to you. Even before he gives you everything you came here for. He is constantly in the process of explaining to you what he is going to do for you. And so everything we do is as though Jesus were speaking to you with sign language, putting his fingers in your ears and telling you what you are here to receive. What you are here to receive is always something more than a magical presence of God. It is always a message that you need to understand. My mother was raised by deaf parents. Her parents, my grandparents, were beneficiaries of the efforts among Lutherans here in America to open and operate homes for the deaf. They directly benefited from Christians who wanted to have mercy on those with physical infirmities. They also directly benefited by the way in which such mercy was shown. It was a gracious and powerful work that Jesus did for the friends in our gospel lesson that compelled them to be so kind to the deaf-mute. It was the same gracious and powerful work that Jesus did for some distant Christians long ago in Michigan or something that compelled them to help folks like my grandparents who learned how to communicate, get to know each other, fall in love, and raise a home after marriage. Thank God for that. But even more importantly, more important than what compelled those Christians was what they were compelled to give. They were compelled to give what they themselves received They didn't just help them communicate and have friendships despite their otherwise crippling disability. They brought them to Jesus. They brought them to a Lutheran home for the deaf where they learned to hear the gospel in some manner of speaking. And that is how my Dutch Reformed grandmother became a Lutheran, married my grandfather, and so far counting, have over 85 descendants who believe and confess the gospel that we hear today. What a tremendous blessing that God can work from the mercy shown by Christians toward those who otherwise are locked in silent prisons of their own lonesome minds. You do not know what God will accomplish in anyone else whom you invite to church or make a good confession to. Now, my grandparents weren't stupid. And I suppose that without having learned to communicate, though, deaf people who are just as intelligent as us hearing people, would admittedly atrophy, so to speak. Think about it, their brains aren't being used. And native intelligence is really only as useful as you make use of it. A mind is a terrible thing to waste, the saying goes. And a perfectly healthy mind most certainly can be wasted. Just imagine 
If with cell phones and video games, instead of reading and, and good conversation with parents, how much more so does a mind go to waste if such mental input entirely is cut off from childhood? Which brings us to what is arguably the greater miracle of our Lord's miraculous healing of the deaf mute, physically speaking. He didn't just learn to hear. Not just now able to, to learn how to talk. That would have been a miracle enough. But now we see that he can plainly speak. He spoke correctly, the Bible says. And not just able to say his R's correctly and pronounce well. He knew words he had never learned. Because when Jesus healed him, he gave him not just the ability to become. He gave him what he needed to know. He gave him thoughts worth saying out loud. Think of that. What a marvel of this miracle. And so this is what Jesus does for us. He doesn't put us on a path to becoming saved. He saves us by giving us a message that though we do not learn so well, immediately we spend the rest of our lives learning. But what we have to say, whether the simple confession of a child or the high theological articulations of a scholar. What we have to say is the simple and clear gospel which saves. As St. Paul said to St. Timothy, regarding those who are wise in their own minds, but who ignore the word of God, that they are always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So we note that there are those who might be much smarter than we are, much more articulate, but if they are not faithful to the gospel which we have received, then all their intelligence and knowledge does nothing for anybody. And that is why St. Paul tells us that we must receive the gospel which he has preached. This is why we must continue to hear it, not only so that we can show mercy on others, but because we need that mercy ourselves. Our greatest intelligence by nature is according to natural reason. Our natural reason is always going to fall in line with the law. Our natural understanding of anything is going to look for ways by which we are justified before God by looking at what we must do. This is why Christians are inclined to listen to the wisdom of, of whatever help or self-help gurus there are out there. This is why Dave Ramsey, for instance, is so important, because this is what people think the, the, the message of the gospel is in many ways because this is what they want their life to become. This is what they are most committed to, living the Christian life and being what they can be because they forget the mercy which they need. But what we need more than for our lives on this earth to be successful is we need to know the gospel. We need to know what makes us wiser than all of our teachers, as the psalm puts it. We need to meditate on the gospel. Jesus gives us ears to hear precisely so that we may continue to hear the gospel. 
He opens our ears precisely so that more and more may continually come through. He has so much more to give. He has mercy beyond all telling. He does all things well and teaches us to receive it as often as we need it. And in this, he works mercy towards others in our hearts by grounding all our understanding of mercy in the mercy that we need from God, who sent his Son to take all of our sins on the cross, to turn his wrath away from us forever, and to find in his words, spirit, and life, the words of eternal life, which forgives us our sins and brings us to heaven and gives us a good conscience while we still live here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen.